Good morning, church family. What a joy to see you in the Lord's house today. We have victory in Jesus today. Amen? And we sang and stand on that truth today. Let's stand and sing together. Victory today. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, church family, and welcome to worship on this Lord's Day. We are so glad that you are here to worship with us. If you were a first-time guest, we ask that you take your connection card that's found in your bulletin, and at the end of the service, you'll have an opportunity um, to take that filled-out card and meet our pastor and his wife, Rebecca and Stuart Holloway, in the foyer area, and he has a copy of his book, The Privilege of Worship, 
um, that he would like to give to you this morning. If you're watching online, whether you're traveling or you're maybe at home sick today, we are so glad that you were watching um, and viewing online and worshiping with us that, in that way. You may be wondering why in the world I have on this t-shirt and why there's kids running around and some adults running around with this t-shirt saying, hello, I'm a follower. This past week, we had the opportunity, 30 of us, to go to kids camp. And I've been telling people all morning, I think it has been the, by far the best camp I've ever been a part of. Um, it was such an awesome week to see God work and move in the lives of children, and not only children, and us adults as well. I came back challenged um, and ready to, to continue the rest of the summer and moving into the, the fall area of of our ministry, but I am thankful that you make it possible for us to be able to go to camp um, and for hearts and lives to be touched and transformed and changed because you give. And we're thankful for that this morning. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Father, I am so grateful for this body of believers. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in our midst this morning as we worship you through song and hear your word, Father. May we leave ready to be obedient to what it is you speak and place on our hearts today, Father. We know that there are people that live in our own community that don't know you and that need a relationship with you, Father. We know that there are people in our own community that may be looking for a church home. May we be that church home for them this morning, Father, that they would get plugged in and connected with us, Father. Lord, I thank you for Stuart and for the word that you're going to bring um, and speak through him this morning, Father. May you inhabit our praise this, this morning, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Thank you. 
Let us pray. Receive and bless these gifts in our lives, O oh God, which we offer in response to your steadfast love as your son Jesus transformed our lives. So may the lives of others be transformed through these gifts, through our love, through our witness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Lord, you are holy indeed. And Lord, today we have declared your glory. We have declared your power. And Lord, you say that when you are lifted up, you'll draw all people to yourself. And so, Lord, draw us to yourself now. God, as we come around your word, may you speak to our hearts. Lord, where we are troubled, may we lay those troubles down. Where we are rejoicing, may we lift those rejoicings up to you. May you be honored during this time, and may we be transformed by the power of your word, through your Holy Spirit's application of it into our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I cannot remember the struggle today, but it must have been one I thought I would never forget. I had bought this book on Elijah back in 2000. Uh, by this book by Chuck Swindoll. He had this series, Great Lives from God's Word, coming out at that time, and I was collecting them all. And I picked this up in 2000, but apparently sat on my shelf until January of 2008 when I pulled it down and began going through it during my quiet time. On January 28th of 2008, I wrote, Studied during one of my darkest times. The Lord caused me to pick this book up off my shelf and use it in my quiet times. What a perfect word for this time. I don't remember what the struggle was today. My journal from that time is somewhat vague. Perhaps it had to do with the fact that my dad had died uh, just about a year before. Uh, maybe it had to do with mine and Rebecca's struggle to have a baby, uh, struggling for three years to see that happen, and at that time nothing had happened. Um, I had received word that it wasn't going to happen without a surgery that we couldn't afford. Um, Maybe it was some issue at church that I was dealing with. There is some indication about something about that in my journal. But maybe it was just all of that together. I can't remember what the exact struggle was then, but it must have been something I thought I would never forget. Nevertheless, God showed up and spoke to me. He has a way of being on the up and up for the down and out. Please turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 7 through 24. Two weeks ago, we began a sermon series on the prophet Elijah called Elijah, prophet of power and humility. And we said that Elijah lived in a day when the nation of Israel was going down the spiritual drain, led by the wicked king Ahab and his wicked witch wife from the north, Queen Jezebel. And as we began Elijah's story, we said, God often uses people you've never heard of to do things you'll never forget. And Elijah was that kind of person. He was a key person at a key time to deal with a key problem. And Elijah was that person that God called out. He came out of an insignificant place in the middle of nowhere to be a bright light in a dark time. Elijah went to King Ahab and he declared, as we read in chapter 17, verse 1, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my command. And then at the command of God, Elijah left the king, went to a brook in a desert ravine to hide out and to wait on God to move. The name of that ravine where Elijah hid is Kirith. It means to cut off or to cut down. God used that time of hiding by the brook to cut Elijah off from other people and to prepare him for what was to come. There beside that brook, Elijah had to surrender to and trust in God for his very survival. Because while there, Elijah drank from the brook while God provided ravens to bring him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat at night. It was a place of supernatural provision of God in an amazing way. I mean, when was the last time some birds showed up with a sausage biscuit for you in the morning and a hamburger at night, right? But these birds did that. But then notice verse 7. Sometime later... The brook dried up 
because there had been no rain in the land. Elijah woke up one morning to find that the brook was no longer babbling. A few days later, he noticed it was only a trickle. Finally, he awoke to find the brook was gone and only damp sand remained. And then he watched as the hot winds dried up the stream bed until it became parched and cracked. The water was gone. Elijah had to know that it would eventually happen. I mean, he had prophesied the drought and he hadn't commanded there to be any rain or dew to come. But still, I wonder if, if Elijah wondered and thought, maybe figured, that God would let this one brook trickle by as long as Elijah remained faithful. Perhaps Elijah thought that he himself wouldn't have to suffer the challenges of drought and famine. But then the brook dried up. What do you do when the way God is providing for you dries up? Have you ever been there? You look around one day to find that your once babbling brook that God led you to has now dried up. When your brook dries up, you wonder where God has gone. You wonder, has God forgotten you? You wonder if he hears. You wonder if he cares. And in those times, we need to remember that dried up brooks do not stand in the way of God's plans. In fact, most of the time, they're part of it. Look what happens to Elijah in verses 8 and 9. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? When your brook dries up, listen for the voice of God. He's going to speak to you, and he will tell you what to do next. And at this point in today's text, I want to stop and make the first focus point, and that is our problems are God's opportunities. Our problems are God's opportunities. Elijah was in a tough spot. The drought and famine were continuing but the brook was dry. It was a problem. Therefore, Elijah listened for a word from God, and it came clearly. The God who gives water sometimes withholds water so that we will move on to the next step in his plan. You know, we can get too comfortable even when we're hiding out in a ravine, being fed by birds and drinking from a brook. Though it may be difficult at first, over time, we grow content hiding by the brook. I mean, after all, our enemies can't find us. Our food comes to us. The pressures of life are far away. It's just us and God, and things are good. However, when your brook dries up, know that your problem is God's opportunity. If he led you to the brook, he hasn't forgotten you by the brook. If he sent birds to find you at the brook in the morning and the evening, he can find you at any time of the day. Yes, sometimes your brook will dry up. Sometimes it will even dry up at the command of God. Nevertheless, remember that your problems are God's opportunities. I recently read about John Bunyan, the 17th century preacher from England. Bunyan faithfully stood against the godlessness in his day. But for doing so, he wasn't put on a speaking circuit or awarded the presidency of some prestigious seminary. Instead, he was arrested and thrown in prison. His brook dried up. However... There in that spiritual desert of the prison, Bunyan met with God. 
And in the dry brook of the prison, Bunyan began to write the work for which he is still and most known today, Pilgrim's Progress. The book Pilgrim's Progress is one of the most significant works of English literature. It has been translated into more than 200 languages and has never been out of print for over 340 years. Bunyan's problem was God's opportunity. Had his brook dried up, Bunyan may never have written that book that has touched millions of lives for over 300 years. When the brook dries up, listen for the voice of God. He'll speak. He'll tell you what to do next. And for Elijah, that was to go to Zarephath and stay there because a widow would provide him with food. Verse 10 and 11. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he came to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. Chuck Swindoll writes, If you walk with the Lord long enough, you will discover that his tests often come back to back. Or perhaps it could be even more accurate to say, back to back to back to back to back. <laughs> and that is certainly the case for Elijah. Whereas Kirith means to cut off or to cut down, Zarephath means to melt or to refine. Zarephath may have gotten its name from a smelting uh, operation that was there in the, the town. And I assume that Elijah knew what the city's name meant when God told him to go there. But I imagine that Elijah was expecting something different. I mean, I think that when the brook dried up, Elijah was hoping that God would say, Oh, my servant Elijah, go and stay at Bethlehem, which means house of bread, and there I will feed you there. But no. Instead, God sends Elijah from cut-down ravine to melting city. Yippee. God says, go and stay there. And this was not an easy journey. The Kirith Ravine was relatively close to Elijah's home in Tishbe. But Zarephath was over a hundred miles away on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. So in his day, Elijah might as well have been traveling to the other side of the world. A hundred miles was a long way to go physically, but it was on the other side of the world spiritually as well. For you see, Zarephath was a Canaanite city where the people worshipped the God that Elijah so vehemently opposed, the God Baal. Further, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel wanted Elijah dead. They had a hit out on him, if you will. And coming out of hiding and traveling that distance would expose Elijah to grave danger. Elijah had to trust God to go and to stay in Zarephath. But Elijah makes the journey. And God does perfect, protect him. And Elijah does find the widow. And here we find another focus point, And that is that your problem may be God's opportunity to work through someone else. Imagine Elijah approaching this widow. He's been living in the desert for months. And traveling for days. His clothes are tattered. His skin is burnt from the desert sun. His face is dry. His beard is long and matted after months of growth. His hair is long and dusty. His lips are cracked. His tongue is swollen. He approaches this woman and asks, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may drink it? And the widow has compassion on this weary, weathered traveler. She immediately leaves her search for sticks to go instead to find him a drink of water. And as she's going off, Elijah calls to her and says, And, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. And the lady stops in her tracks, spins around, and says... As surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. 
Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. See, the lady didn't mind fetching a little water for this man from the village well. But to bring bread from the meager, meager remnant that remained at the bottom of her empty flour jar and her oil jar was asking a bit too much. Elijah had to wonder, um, maybe I got the lady wrong. I mean, this lady is going to provide for me? This poor, depressed widow lady? Remember, God said that she would provide for him. She would feed him, not just grab him something to drink. And I imagine Elijah went to Zarephath anticipating a little more provision than he had had there at the brook. Unfortunately, it wasn't looking like that was going to be the case. Perhaps he might not die of thirst, but he might die of starvation. Not only had Elijah's brook dried up, the widow's brook had dried up as well. She was so destitute that she could only focus on the impossibilities. And we tend to do that when we're in a rough spot. When the money is tight, when the diagnosis is bad, when the job goes away, when the deal falls through, when the disappointment comes, when the heartache happens, when the death occurs, we look around and all we see is a handful of flour, a few drops of oil, and some sticks. But God has a way of doing a lot with a little when we give it to him. And so therefore, in this moment, Elijah's problem becomes God's opportunity to work through this destitute widow. And Elijah replies in verses 13 and 14. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will never run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. To experience the possibilities of God, we must submit to him our impossibilities. Philip Keller says, It is not what we possess that matters. It's how we hold it in our hands. So loosen your grip and allow God to grasp what you won't let go. As Mary said when Gabriel told the virgin that she would be with child, nothing is impossible with God. Now that truth was drilled home to me as a child through a song we used to sing in my elementary school days that said, nothing is impossible with God. I believe that nothing is impossible, that all things are possible with God. I learned that as a Christian kid attending a Christian school, going to Christian church. But think about this scene. This is a pagan Canaanite widow who is faced with a crisis of belief in the God of a stranger who just walked up to her out of the desert. Can she trust this dirty, scraggly traveler? Even more, can she trust his God? The God who she apparently knows has brought this drought on the land because she said, your God lives. I mean, can she trust this man? Can she trust this? I'm not sure that I would. Trust a stranger that came up out of the desert that looked like a hobo. But verse 15 is amazing. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. The widow goes into her kitchen. She picks up a bowl. She looks in her flour bin, and as she expected, there's just enough for that day. She reaches in with her hand, picks up that flour, puts it in the bowl. She reaches up. She gets her oil jar. She turns it over. Drip, drip, drip. She hits it on the back. Drip, drip, drip. Just enough. She makes the bread. She breaks the bread. 
they eat. That evening, she goes back to the flower bin. She looks in. Again, there's just enough flour. She gets it up. She puts it in her bowl. She reaches up for the oil jar. She turns it over. Drip, 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 just enough. And she does that the next morning and the next evening, and the next morning and the next evening, and the next morning and the next evening, and the next 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 and the next, and the flour never runs out, and the oil never grows, uh, grows uh, dry. And Chuck Swindoll says she must have been singing, Praise God from whom all biscuits flow. Right? <laughs> I wish I'd have thought of that. Yeah. Now, the woman and her son and Elijah, they didn't have all they wanted. They didn't have sausage to put in their biscuits in the morning or tomato gravy to put on it at night. Just made some of y'all hungry, didn't you? So, I got them tomatoes out in the garden. I'm going to make some of that. But they had enough, right? Their food never ran out. You can trust God to provide for your needs. Your problems are God's opportunity. Sometimes your problem may be God's opportunity to work through someone else as he did through this widow for Elijah. But at other times, someone else's problem may be God's opportunity to work through you. You see, the story doesn't end with Elijah and the widow and her son eating biscuits together. It continues, and the way it continues isn't good. Verse 17, sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. And she said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Now, we don't know how old this son was. But from the way in the story that the widow and Elijah hold him and from the fact that he ate bread, he must have been at least a preschooler. He could have been a little older. But for weeks and months, Elijah had lived with this woman and her son and God had provided enough flour and oil every day, but now the unthinkable had happened. There are few scenes as terrible as a mother watching her child die. The utter helplessness yields only to intense grief. And it's horrible for the mother and it's horrible for someone else in the room who can't help. And this is a widow. And widows in that day literally had nothing. There was no pension. There was no social security. There was nothing. She had nothing. Her husband has already been gone. And now her only son, we presume, has died. As the boy grew sicker and sicker, perhaps the widow felt that Elijah might do something. And maybe his God could do something. And then her son stopped breathing. And then his body went limp. And the color drained from his face and his body grew cold. And as all of that happened, her face flushed as the grief turned into rage. And she said, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come here to remind me of my sin only and to kill my son? This lady gives Elijah a tongue lashing and her eyes shot daggers. That's what we do when we're hurt deeply. We look for a scapegoat. We look for someone to take the pain. And often that scapegoat becomes a loved one or a spouse or a nurse or a pastor or a friend, especially when that person represents the answer we wish we had received. But thankfully, God specializes in impossible situations. And here the widow's problem becomes God's opportunity to work through Elijah and God guides Elijah from the problem of saving his own life to the privilege of saving this widow's faith in her son's life. Notice the reaction of Elijah in verse 19. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. When the lady lashes out on him, Elijah doesn't say, Hey, hang on a minute, lady. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't defend his God. He is silent. And that is how we all need to be when someone jumps down our throat because of his or her grief. In fact, most times when somebody jumps down your throat, they're really mad about something else. So take it. And Elijah does. And then he simply says, give me your son. Now, in this moment, we see another act of faith on the part of this pagan Canaanite woman. She gives her son over to him. 
Now, moms, if your son had just died in your arms and the person you blamed for it then asked you to take him, would you give your son to him? But this lady does. I believe it's an act of faith. It reminds me of, of Martha at the tomb of Lazarus. Remember how mad Martha was when Jesus finally showed up? And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But then she adds that statement of faith. Nevertheless, I know that even now God will do whatever you ask. You could have prevented it, but maybe you can still do something. And the, the, so the woman hands the dead child over to Elijah. And Elijah goes out the door, up the stairs beside the side of the house, onto the roof, into his little house where he would have stayed. And he lays the child on the bed. And then Elijah gets alone with God. Verse 20. He cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? And then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. Elijah gets along with God. And when someone else's problem is God's opportunity to work through you, that's all you can do is get along with God. Elijah doesn't know what's going to happen. He's as confounded by the situation as the grieving widow. Do you see that he, he, he questions God, kind of tells him off in verse 20? God, what are you doing? Have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Give this lady a break. But then Elijah prays with great faith. Oh, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. Oh, Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God, my God, who I have a relationship with. Lord, if anyone can do it, you can. Let this boy's life return to him. Now, here's the big thing. There was no precedence for resurrection. This is the very first resurrection that ever occurs in Scripture. So, Elijah couldn't pray. Lord, raise up this boy as you did the widow of Dane's son in Luke 7. Raise him up, Lord, as you did the, son of, the daughter of Jairus in Luke 8. He couldn't pray that. He couldn't quote Scripture in verse back at God. There was no precedent. This had never happened. So he just says, oh, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. He prayed hard. He prayed through. And I don't know why he assumed the posture that he did, but I think the fact that he did it three times is an indication of the fervency of his faith. He kept going back. He kept circling the prayer. Lord, I'm trusting you for a miracle, a miracle that will bring faith to this woman. Recently, I've been reading Mark Batterson's The Circle Maker. And I'm convinced that we often give up praying just before God's about to give the an answer. And I'm convinced, too, that we're leaving, as Steve Gaines says, way too much on the table that God would do if we would ask, but he won't do if we don't ask. The answered prayers come when we circle those prayers, when we pray hard and we pray long and we pray through, not when we just toss up a, hey God, will you take care of this? Elijah prays with faith. His posture matches his intensity and the result is God answers. Verse 22, the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. You see, friends, God didn't bring this boy back to life just to bring this boy back to life. The miracle is never the point of the miracle. God does the miracle so something else can happen. And in this case, it was the widow's transformation. For not only did the boy come alive, but his mom came alive to faith. She comes alive to the living Lord. Her response to her son's resurrection is a beautiful tribute. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of, Lord, of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. And while we never hear from this woman again, I have to wonder how many people... She helped turn to the Lord. 
in that pagan nation. You know, some people have suggested that this boy later became a helper to Elijah. Others have said this boy is actually the prophet Jonah. We don't know all of that. But what we do know is one Canaanite woman came alive because her problem became God's opportunity to do the impossible. What's your problem today? Will you allow it to become God's opportunity? Listen to these words from Chuck Swindoll. He says, is he able? Get serious. I'm referring to the God of impossibilities. The one who has limitless power, who has never and will never meet an intimidating obstacle he cannot overcome, an aggressive enemy he cannot overwhelm, a final decision he cannot override, or a powerful person he cannot overshadow. Amen. God is faithful. He's on the up and up for the down and out. While I do not remember what the problem was at the beginning of 2008, I do know what God did during the rest of 2008. In January of 2008, in whatever that dark time was when I studied this book about Elijah and I wrote those words, God encouraged me to trust him. And over the next several months, God worked in ways Rebecca and I never could have imagined. I hadn't even thought about this until I was studying this week and saw this note. In April, we found out that we were expecting our first child without that surgery we were supposed to have to have. In May, the first phone call from the search committee from this church came, and we started the process of transitioning back to Louisiana. By the end of 2008, we had moved here, bought our first house, had our first baby. I had graduated with my Ph.D., I may have thought I would never forget the problem at the beginning of the year. But now I can't forget the God who saw us through by the end of the year. God is on the up and up for the down and out. If you need him today, he's here for you. But it begins with a personal relationship with him. So if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never repented of your sins and turn to him as the Lord and ruler of your life. You need to do that today because that's where it begins with that personal relationship where God can speak to you and he can guide you. So if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you submit to him today? Would you turn over your life to him? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I need your salvation. I confess my sins to you. I receive the forgiveness that you offer, and I want you to be the ruler of my life. If you would like to do that today, you can do that in this very moment, praying simple words like that. There's no magic formula. Just mean it in your heart that you want God to come in and save you, and he will. And then in a few moments when we stand and sing our song of invitation, come and say, Pastor, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior today. I want to walk with him the rest of my life. And we're going to celebrate that with you. And we'll talk then about following through with believer's baptism. There may be a problem, though, in your life. You are a believer, and your problem is there, and it seems impossible, and you need to bring it before the Lord, and, and the altar is open. And we call people forward to invitation because an invitation helps seal things in our hearts and minds. Sometimes to... To show we're serious, we need to do something. That's why we kneel when we pray or we lay prostrate before the Lord when we pray. We bow our heads when we pray or we lift up our hands. There's something about posture that communicates commitment. And so that's why we have an invitation. I'm stepping forward and trusting Christ. I'm coming. I'm kneeling. I'm praying. And when you do, it reminds all of us to lift you up, whether it's a praise or a concern. And so in just a moment as we stand and sing our song of invitation, would you trust the Lord to move in your heart and life today? May we pray together. Lord Jesus, I don't know the problems in this room, the struggles in this room, the impossibilities in this room, but I do know that you call us to turn our eyes upon you so that you can help us in those. First, for those who've never trusted you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they turn their eyes upon you, look in your face, and receive the salvation that you want to give them. For others, Lord, I pray who are battling whatever kind of difficulties and concerns and problems, Lord, I pray that they would lay those at your feet 
and that you would make them amazing opportunities for you to work in great and mighty ways. Lord, either in their life or through someone else in their life. Lord, help us and guide us during this time. May we be obedient to your call upon our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.